Hey garden nerds, just a quick note before we get to today's episode. This podcast was recorded back in April of 2021. We were just heading into spring, so keep that in mind as you listen. It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest this week is Wendy Kyung Spray, author of The Chinese Kitchen Garden, Growing Techniques and Family Recipes from a Classic Cuisine. She's a passionate gardener and garden speaker, inspiring people to grow and eat traditional Asian vegetables. She lives and gardens in Maryland, which I'm dying to learn more about what it's like to do that. Welcome to the podcast, Wendy. Hi, Christy. Thanks for having me. Well, you were one of the terrific speakers at the Great Grow Along this past March, opening people's eyes to the wonders of Asian vegetables. But before we dive into that, can you describe your garden in Maryland, uh, you know, what you're growing or planning to grow in your garden this season? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Mar- in Maryland we have four seasons. So we so spring is fully underway, and um, you know there I'm looking at some bleeding hearts right outside my window. It's really pretty out. The leaves are greening, and some of the things that have overwintered ha- are are popping up. Like I usually have some tatsoi around this time. Um, and especially, you know, in the cold frame, um, sometimes spinaches have overwintered. My asparagus is coming up. My strawberries look like they're going to do something soon. Usually the rhubarb's looking good and I'm thinking about pie, but I don't know if the, the rhubarb made it this, this winter. This year, also in Maryland and some neighboring states, we have these Brood X periodical cicadas. Have you heard of these things? Oh, is this the 17 year emergence? Yes. Oh my God, you're having that? Yes. yes. <laughs> Tell no. us more. Okay. I want to know. I actually can't stop talking about it. I actually just wrote a little essay that will be um, published in a, in a local gardening magazine because um, I've had to come to terms with it because the, okay, so these. If, if you're not familiar, it's a periodical cicada. So yes, every 17 years, I believe I was actually even, I was, I believe I was in my twenties the last time these things came out and they're totally harmless. They're not really going to damage trees that are established. Um, you know, I think they suggest that you wrap some, um, some of the, the newer baby trees, but they, they do no harm. But once the soil reaches 64 degrees, a few inches underground, billions of them will emerge. <laughs> like, oh my God. Billions will emerge. <laughs> and, you know, they're big. They're cicadas. And right. they are harmless. But, like, oh, my gosh. I remember 17 years ago, they are literally, um, they're really sturdy. So they're, like, decapitated and still climbing up the windshield of my car. Oh. Oh my God. On for like maybe 10 miles. And then if you imagine, like if you, if you, if you know what cicadas sound like. In, yeah. In it's summer, really imagine, shrill. Yes. So imagine billions of them. Oh it's, it's God. just so loud and I'm okay with bugs. Like I'm okay. I don't want them in my house, but I'm okay with them outside. Like, a, you know, if a spider jumps on me, I'll probably scream or whatever, but I'm okay. I'm okay <laughs> with bugs, but I'm just honestly too scared to do anything in my garden. And I had to reconcile that, you know, because I am a gardener and, and this will be my first ever break, but I did decide that I'm going to take a break. So I will not be outside until probably midsummer. So, you know, I think that probably takes care of most of my 
fruiting things that would be growing like tomatoes and peppers. I usually have seeds that I'm, I've started um, at this point, um, you know, seedlings on my piano, just growing under the grow lights, mm-hmm. but I don't think I, I'm going to come to it until fall. I love that you have your seed trays on a piano <laughs> or is it under, under the piano? Well, on the piano, on the piano, know, the big surface and I'm able to set up my lights and everything, but that's cool. You no, know, it's just empty right now. So it's a little bit sad, but mm-hmm. I understand now, how long do they stick around or do they migrate? What happens to them? Oh, okay. Okay. Here we go. So, okay. So they'll probably be around mid-May through the end of June. So what happens is they emerge from their little holes in the ground and they, they start mating and they, and they, they deposit their eggs in the tree branches. And then eventually the nymphs fall to the ground and burrow under the ground where they feed on tree roots, I believe, Mm. um, for the next 17 years. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's, it's actually really crazy and amazing. You know, I, I like I said, I, I don't hate bugs and it's actually, it, it is very amazing, but I, j- I just can't, I'm, I'm just scared, you know? And, and like I said, in this little essay I wrote, like, we're all scared of stuff. Like there are things you're scared of that I'm not scared of, but I'm just, I'm just scared of the cicadas. Yeah. And I imagine that it's, it's more than a presence, you know, it's just really all consuming having them around. I remember being in the one time I've ever been to the South of France in Provence during the hot summer and the cicadas were just, it's ear shattering, really. Mm-hmm. It's so, so loud. Well, thank you for sharing that. My next question for you is when did you really get into gardening? and in particular growing Asian vegetables? I sort of always kind of grew up in the garden. My dad always had a garden, um, but my own garden was um, started when my my daughter was, my older daughter was seven and she just was like, mom, can we have a garden? And then I was like, okay. And then, you know, it's, it, as, as any gardener knows, it's very addictive and your garden kind of gets bigger and bigger every year. And you kind of get more and more obsessed and you want to soak up all the knowledge. Um, so I guess, you know, that's when my garden started. Uh, and I started off growing all the, the typical things that you would want to grow with your kid, like, you know, some lettuces and some carrots you can pull and, you know, probably put in some tomatoes I bought at a store or something. And then you quickly get into the seed starting and trying heirloom vegetables. And, um, and then it just kind of goes from there. But I would say, you know, so my dad has always grown a lot of Asian vegetables and I started to become interested, you know, after I had my own little garden in earnest, but you know, there was one day I was talking, my, my dad and I, um, have an interesting relationship because, you know, there, there's, there's clearly a lot of love, but there's also a lot, you know, we're, we're very alike. So, um, and he's also, we're very alike, which means we also have very bad tempers. Oh, great. (laughs) So when you have a lot to say and you're a lot of alike and you're very stubborn, um, you know, things kind of escalate pretty quickly. And aside from that, my dad is, is also a man of few words. We don't often have like lengthy, rich conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was one day we were, we were harvesting bamboo and we had a whole wheelbarrow full of this bamboo that we were working on. And it was definitely going to take a long time. So I was just like, 
oh, so tell me about, about your garden in China. Like, what did you used to grow? And he started telling me about, you know, the Napa cabbages and the radishes and all, all, you know, the various things that he grew. And it was really interesting for me because I've, I've never seen this part of China. I've never seen China. Mm-hmm. I've never seen China. And he, he never really shared stories of China with me because his time in China was pretty, um, you know, it was pretty difficult. Like he grew up during the onset of communism in China. He had a difficult family story. So, you know, I remember my mom was always like, especially when I asked questions about my grandmother who died before I was born, my mom was always like, oh no, don't ask him any questions about about it. He's going to get mad. And so we never, like my sister and I never, you know, we just stayed away from the subject. And then we didn't realize until we were older that it's not that he was going to get mad. It's that it would make him upset. And, you know, as I described, he's a very stubborn, quiet man, and he's not trying to talk about his feelings or anything sad that happened to him. So I I found that talking with him about vegetables really kind of painted this picture of China and his childhood. And eventually when I told him, oh, I'm going to start, you know, planting these vegetables or I'm going to write about them on my blog, you know, and oh, so can you tell me a little bit more about this? Like I found that I was able to kind of push a little bit and even ask questions about my grandmother, like in a very, very safe way, because it was all through, you know, the guise of learning about how he grew vegetables. So that's when it became a little little extra meaningful for me. Yeah. It's amazing how food and gardening are the gateway to this a unity that you know it's it really is cross cultural and cross political and you know it's so many things to so many people so thank you for sharing that your book is part memoir you share some of these stories it's also part gardening book and part cookbook what are some of your favorite vegetables to grow and why i love to grow things that i can dig just cuz i think it's fun to dig <laughs> And it kind of, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of, you know, sort of what my people may have done. I don't know. It's just something that with the, the, the act of unearthing things. I think luffa gourds are great to grow. And if you're sort of entering the, the realm of Asian vegetables, I think that would be a really fun one because, you know, they're, they're easy to eat and like because they, okay, it's a tall vining plant. So you mm-hmm. do need some room. But, and, you know, and you harvest the luffa gourds when they're a few inches, like maybe six inches or so, and you can pretty much eat them like summer squash. So if you like summer squash and you know what to do with those, then you can figure out what to do with luffa gourds. In my book, I I also do give food ideas, like both how we use them in our cuisine, plus how you can, you know, how you can use them. But it's luffa gourds are really fun because they're a fast growing plant and you will inevitably forget some. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that will turn into the scrubby bath sponges at the end of the season. So right. it's a little bit of a win-win and you can do so many craft projects with luffa gourds too. I think that's that's a really fun one. And there are a lot of good Asian greens too. Asian greens are really easy. You know, you know what to do with 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 greens that you're typically growing. I would say some Asian greens, like even bok choy, are a little bit thicker than your lettuces. In Chinese cuisine, most greens are cooked. If it's a little bit too much for a salad, 
then try, you know, just try stir frying it and, and see how, how that, see how you like that. And I will say that the biggest tip with greens is to try them in the fall. Right. So even though I'll miss most of my gardening season because of the cicadas, I will be <laughs> get my greens in in the fall yeah I, I we have the same thing here where our we we barely have a spring it goes kind of straight to summer and so we we don't recommend I don't recommend growing any of the brassica plants in the spring at all we just just plant them in the fall they grow so easily through the winter and you have fewer aphids you know fewer pest problems and all of that so we're on the same page there I have to ask for purely selfish reasons. What do you like to do with winter radishes? I grow them every year and I'm always looking for new things to do with them besides roasting. Cause that's the thing I do mostly is I die, you know, quarter them, dice them up, roast them with some oil and then toss them with toasted sesame oil and, and to, uh, tamari, you know, and it's like the most amazing thing. They're transformed into something else, but what else can I do? <laughs> I need some other ideas. Yeah. You know, the first, the first year I grew radishes, the little red radishes, I remember I had a friend who was like, she was like, Oh, you just pick them out of the garden and dredge them through butter and eat them like the French do. And, um, well, I mean, first I hadn't heard that. I, so I, I really didn't know, but she made it sound so appealing. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what the deal is. Like I, I don't have too many food sensitivities, but I did dredge them through butter like the French. And, um, and I ended up going to the hospital because I felt like, I think it was just like, a, I, I don't know what the deal is with radishes. I and mean, I don't know, it was like an indigestion type of thing. I thought I was having a heart attack. It was oh, no. crazy. Okay. Um, so you don't grow radishes? <laughs> like the French do. You'll probably be fine. I don't, I'm not going to do it that way again. Mm-hmm. But um, what I would do is I would do it like the Asian people do which is in so many various types of pickles. Like I feel like um, in every type of Asian cuisine, there is, there's a pickled radish recipe. My friend, Pat, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Tanumi Harda. She has a book about Asian pickles. And I love that. I love all of her recipes. You could probably find a billion radish recipes in there. But, you know, if you like the Vietnamese sandwiches, they always put their mixture of um, pickled radishes and carrots on their sandwiches. If you go to a Korean restaurant, they bring you the little dishes of banchan and it's always radishes in various ways. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever picks, pickle recipe you use, I like spicy pickles. There's, you can substitute radishes. I, I personally think that's a great way to eat radishes. Okay. Oh, and I love um, soba noodles, for example, with grated radish in the sauce. And Ooh. you you dredge the soba noodles through a sauce that has, it's like a, I, th- I think it's a tamari-based sauce, but don't, don't quote me if I'm wrong. But it's like, it's like a tamari type of sauce that you dumps um, grated radish in and wasabi in and maybe even a quail egg. I had, I had it like that once in a restaurant and you can take your cold soup, soba noodles and dredge them through that sauce. That is delicious. That's one of my favorite things to eat. That sounds really good. Like, like a summertime meal too. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be looking those up when we're done talking here. <laughs> uh, are there any unpopular or unknown veggies that you wish everyone grew? I think what I have to mention is the bitter melon. 
And I wouldn't say it's unpopular because people are fascinated by bitter melon and they either want to try it or they've had it or they say they love it or it's like, you know, they hate it and it's topic of conversation. <laughs> so um, I guess I would have to add the bitter melon here. It is legit bitter. Mm-hmm. And I would compare it to a, a pepper in that it, you know, you eat the, you eat the, the fleshy walls, kind of juicy, you know, the juicy fleshy walls. Mm-hmm. You cut it in half, you scoop out the insides and, and eat the flesh. And you could, you know, you could pickle that too. And when I used to, um, go out and do speaking events, um, you know, pre-COVID and would bring samples, I would always pickle bitter melon because I feel like it's a really nice way to try it, especially if you like pickles, because you get that nice pickly taste and then you do get that bitter after note. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to try it. But I would say because it's bitter, it's really great stir fried or cooked with something strong to kind of balance it. So it's a, it's a lot of like garlic, um, fermented uh. black beans, that kind of stuff. Spicy, spicy flavors. Those are good ways to, to do bitter melon. But I've also had people juice it. Bitter melon is supposed to be really good for people with diabetes. I had this one guy tell me once that he juices, he, you know, he makes a fresh green juice every day and he throws the entire bitter melon in there, including the seeds, the, you know, just throws it in there. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and, he, and he loves it. So. Wow. Yeah. And I know I've grown bitter melon with some clients. It does take up some space. You need to give it a, either it's going to sprawl all over the ground or you give it a trellis and, you know, give it a vining space, but it does it's not something to grow in a tiny, tiny garden, I would say. Giving bitter melon a fair shake is worth is worth mentioning. <laughs> um, I think I think most people are familiar with the pests that plague brassicas, like aphids and cabbage loopers. Are there any other pests that you have to deal with on a regular basis besides the aforementioned cicada <laughs> every seventeen years? <laughs> which are only a pest to me because, you know, like I don't want to scare anyone. They are totally harmless in the garden and to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess flea beetles are a real problem, especially if you're, if you're doing eggplant. I struggle with eggplant just because of the flea beetles. And I do find that Japanese eggplant I have better luck with. Mm. And um, what I definitely have luck with is the Thai eggplant, which is a great thing to try. Thai eggplants are like golf ball sized. I find if I'm trying to grow a big globe eggplant, the flea beetles have pretty much decimated the leaves before the globe eggplant even begins to grow Mm -hmm. practically. So if, you know, when you're growing a smaller thing, like a Thai eggplant, you kind of have a better chance of, of getting the fruit before your flea beetles destroy it. And, you know, of course there are different tricks like, um, you can use various organic methods to, to take care of them, which tend to just be a little too fussy for me. I'm a little bit of a neglectful gardener. <laughs> you know, That's growing tough. in pots helps for me sometimes. Ah, okay. And of course, changing up the location helps too. Yeah, I've had flea beetles a couple times, but um, most of the time they seem to leave us alone. So that's good. I like that that there's a difference in the type, you know, in how they affect different types of eggplant that you grow. So that's that's very helpful. Thank you very much. And and that felt like a tip, but it is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? Another one. <laughs> oh, I love that you do a tip. So I did, I did think about this a little bit today. And I guess my tip of today, at least for Wendy, would be 
to ask for help when you need it. And that's because I, in my backyard, I have, I, I did a very intense stone landscaping project many years ago and it's beautiful, but I'm, I'm not a stonemason. So at this point, <laughs> the wall, you know, if anyone is up there messing around on the wall, it will fall down and I won't be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I have hesitated to get people, you know, to, to ask for help up there with, with the weeds and I found out that my husband and my next door neighbor are calling it Jumanji behind my back. <laughs> and um, so they keep, you know, my neighbor's like, so what's going on with Jumanji? And, um, and I, you know, I can't have people calling my garden Jumanji. <laughs> so I got it. I got a quote and I'm like, I'm going to just allow someone to come in and take care of the weeds so I'm not stressed out every day. Like, I think I'm stressed out every day because of that situation back there. Every mm-hmm. time I look outside, I'm going to bite the bullet and do it. I love it. And I, I think in that, that crosses over to so many things. Uh, I think women in particular have trouble asking for help. So that certainly, I know I'm juggling a lot of balls over here. So it's nice to, nice to hear that. Well, thank you for sharing that tip, Wendy, and for being a guest on the Gardener Tip of the Week podcast. How do people find you? I, I would invite anyone who has any questions or comments or anything they want to share to email me. And um, you can find my email pretty easily on the internet. I also have a website. It's it's uh, wendykeongspray.com and there's a contact form there. I have a Facebook group. It's the Chinese Kitchen Garden Facebook group. There's a page and there's also a group. I would say join the group if you're interested. There are a bunch of people on there who are interested in the topic, all things related to gardening and cooking, um, Asian vegetables, and a little bit beyond that. You know, feel free to post, share, that kind of stuff. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find a link to Wendy's website and book on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also post links to her Facebook group and a cool YouTube video on how to master the weeknight stir fry. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!